Hello, and a very warm welcome. This is Earth to Air, our first podcast brought to you by New Earth Theatre. I'm Kumiko Mendel, Artistic Director of the company. For our first series, we interview some of the women involved in Tsunagu Connect, a project we started in 2020, exploring and uncovering the lives of Japanese women who have come to the UK since 1945. Join us on our journey as we take to new heights to amplify and champion the multiplicity of voices and stories of East and Southeast Asians in the UK. Let's begin. Today, I am joined with co-host and co-creator of Tsunagu Connect, Kazuko Hoki. Our guest today is Lola Isako Okazaki Ward. Lola came to Britain in 1954 on the Empire Windrush. Yes, the very same ship that brought over the first post-war generation of immigrants from the Caribbean. Lola, newly wed and pregnant, was traveling with her husband, a royal engineer, on what turned out to be the ill-fated and final voyage of the Windrush. She was one of the very few Japanese women traveling on the ship on her first trip to England. After settling here with her husband and bringing up four children, Lola made a career for herself, researching, writing and lecturing about business management at the renowned Cranfield Business School in Bedford. She has written one book and co-authored another on Japanese styles of management training. And she's also written an autobiography that has been published in Japanese. She is currently working on a book about Japanese women in Edo, Japan. Welcome, Lola. Thank you. Hello. Konnichiwa. Um, so you Konnichiwa. were born in uh, Qingtao in northeast of China in 1930, which yes. means like uh, you are now 90 years old. Is yes. that right? You are right. Brilliant. I was brought up by my aunt, apart from my family, in the uh, island where my parents came from. And uh, only at the age of 10, when I joined my family in, in Tokyo. And of course, that was quite close to the beginning of the Second World War. And uh, I have come back from Tokyo to that island with my parents in 1950, sorry, 1943, and I, I was evacuated actually with, with my parents and uh, spent the rest of the four years back in, in Onomichi, which is a commercial city in Hiroshima Prefecture. And I think you were one of the first Japanese women to come to Britain after the war. Can you tell us a story about how you ended up coming here? Yes, well, I don't know I was the first, but very few Japanese women were married in, 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 those, in, in their 40s and 50s. Mm. And uh, I married my husband in 1954. My husband was uh, a member of the British Engineering Regiment and uh, we met in, in the church 
and they got married in 1954, oh, sorry, 53. Mm -hmm. And we left Japan in 1954 in February. And uh, the journey was very tortuous because I was three months pregnant. And uh, I didn't really enjoy the sea journey because I was sick all the time. Mm. And in the ship I was traveling in, the Empire Windrush, caught fire off the coast of Algiers uh, on the way back, on, on the last leg of journey back to England was godsend, really, because it shortened the journey about a week. About a week. <laughs> How long had you been so, on the ship until then? I'm sure it was a good, good five weeks wow. or longer. Mm. And uh, we were taken to Gibraltar by, uh, by aircraft carrier Triumph. And from there, we all sort of flown to Blackbush Airport, the, the Army Airfield in the south on the following day. And were you, um, was everyone rescued? How, how did the actual rescue happen? The shipwreck was caused by the explosion in the engine room in the Empire Windrush mm. early in the morning. And uh, because fire spread very quickly, there wasn't much time to let down the uh, lifeboat. And only uh, women and children were, I think, given a chance to, to be rescued. And uh, my husband was, didn't come with me. He had to wait until we have all sort of been launched and left that, that windrush to jump into the sea where he was, I think, about three or four hours hmm. trying to keep afloat, hanging onto the piece of wood, I think. Anything that floated was thrown in into the sea so that people can hang on to it and wait for the rescue to arrive. But in the meanwhile, I was in, in the lifeboat and we were rescued by an Italian boat who came uh, came to rescue and landed on Algiers. Of course, I had no idea whether my husband was safe or not. And until the uh, evening of that day, I think it was March 28th, I was unsure whether he was alive or not. So these 10 hours from six o'clock in the morning till about four when I finally met my husband, safe and sound, I was absolutely alone. Other women, of course, were sort of the same situation, but they were going home, but I was going to a strange country mm. and it was been very, very you know, difficult for me. Yes, couldn't imagine. But in a way, it was fortunate that it did happen in the Mediterranean early in the morning, reasonably calm day. 
and uh, if and you know if it had happened in the middle of Indian Ocean, I'm sure it would have been a terrible tragedy. Mm. <laughs> wow, so just just winding back a bit, before you left Japan, you had married your husband. How yes, that must have been quite unusual at the time. How were your family um, with with your marriage? How, how did they react? I took my husband to home to, to introduce him to my family in June of 1953, mm-hmm. after we have got engaged in, in April that year. So I went, went back to my home because I thought it would be better if I, if I told my hus- uh, parents what I intend to do. And uh, my father was not very happy about it, not because he had objection to my marrying a foreigner, but the fact that in those years when Japan was a very, very poor country still, he couldn't envisage any help that he could extend to me if anything wrong with me, with my life in, in England. But in the end, I told them that uh, you know, I had any every confidence in him being happy, happily married, and that they have uh, both of them gave, gave me consent. So we got engaged in April and got married three times in August. So we. We had we had three, yes, three wedding anniversaries every year. Once one is Japanese law, and the second one is by British law because we wanted to get get married in the Baptist church by a Baptist senior chaplain, and that wasn't law. Uh, it was quite legal, so I had to go to the field office to have a civil marriage first. So that's Japanese, British, and the church, three different dates. So how did you meet oh, your husband, may I ask? I was living at the YWCA hostel, and I was asked to give my help to interpret Padre Gom, who was a senior Australian Baptist church, uh, chaplain, and uh, I eventually joined the choir there. But uh, I have to, first of all, that my husband, who saw me passing his office down to the, the, uh, my office, which was head, in the headquarters of the British, uh, no, sorry, Australian Re- uh, Engineering Re- Regiment, why he was seconded us. He saw me pass by his window with my other colleagues and decided that he was going to marry me. <laughs> At first, first sight, I had no idea whatsoever about that until much later when uh, there are some uh, incidents 
in between, and that was very unhappy at that time. He joined the choir, but after three weeks, much to the relief of the choir master, he left. <laughs> was about that. <laughs> we, His singing we got... was so bad. <laughs> well, I don't think he sang much, but he decided that <laughs> he decided that we got to know each other, so there was no uh, no point in staying on. <laughs> he That's very romantic. he uh, walked back to Adelaide every Sunday night, mm. and he proposed to me to 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 ma marry him on the way one evening. Absolutely. The boat from the blue sky, I think, <laughs> we, because we had no idea. <laughs> but until, after then, we have sort of become a very friendly and talked about, uh, you know, life and life at home and so on. And he was very, very, very well behaved, actually. Uh, before we, so he proposed to me, we only sort of never kissed or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a you know, really big decision that I have to make. Yes, and your decision was right always through to also your life. Your marriage seems yes. to be fantastic. Um, yes, my husband seemed very, very good to me. Mm. Mind you, my, my father said, I trust that you'll look after my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and say, yes, I will. And they sort of shook hands on that. Yes. How, how was uh, your life like when you arrived? Like, uh, it's, uh, you arrived in um, 1954 and not many Japanese yes. people there and you have to mix with um, your in-law families and all that things. How, yes. how was it like? Well, because the way that I have, I have arrived in this country after being shipwrecked, and because of a very bad journey on the sea, and I was really unable to keep my food very much. So I was really skin and bone by the time I arrived. Mm -hmm. And my mother-in-law immediately, I think, undertook to feed me up. <laughs> and we, Najun and myself, spent the first Eight months at no, not eight months from from beginning of April to December with my with Nigel's parents in Huntingdon, and uh, I had a very very sort of interesting time there because I was learning uh, you know things about this country and doing things with my mother-in-law who was very kind. But I'm sure so I, maybe it was, I mean, they weren't expecting a, a Japanese daughter-in-law. And so soon after the war, was it, was it, were there difficulties or challenges you felt? Maybe not for no, your in-laws, but for other people? No, I don't think, I don't think I have ever across, uh, come across any unkindness to me mm. or here in, in this, in, in England. 
So in that case, in that way, I was very lucky. One thing is that I was quite fluent in English and had no problem. And the people who saw me didn't couldn't understand whether I, whether I'm Chinese or anything else. <laughs> but uh, I think I had a lot that I have learned from my mother-in-law doing things together. And uh, although there are problems, because I was really quite uh, unwell some of the time in my late pregnancy uh, after the you know, uh, encounter of the shipwreck. I didn't do, go out very much at all, and uh, I had almost a breakdown at one point when Nigel went away for two weeks to Bisley, where he had spent that time as his final service to the army before he came out of it. And he became a civilian after that. He didn't want to stay in the army because being army, in the army, he will be sent to uh, places and uh, anyway, I shall never have a proper time to put my root down in the society. So he said, he, he decided that he's going to come out after five years in the army. Mm. At these uh, months that I spent at Huntingdon with my mother and my father-in-law was very good. His parents had a sort of custom of writing every week to him and their daughter also in Germany, and in a frequent sort of correspondence. And after I married, I took over the job of writing to them from Nigel, and they have sort of listened to me every week. So I got to know them to a certain extent, but was quite I was quite nervous when we came to meet yes. meet them for the first time. They are, have been informed that you know uh, that he was bringing his Japanese wife, and uh, my parents-in-law went directly to the, the uh, library to get the books out to read about Japan, and they said that the book says that Japanese are ambitious. Hardworking <laughs> and so on. I think it's uh, the birth of my first child, Sue, in August, which really helped me to put my root down. Um, in in your fascinating uh, biography, autobiography, like you mentioned, that you shocked the Nigel's um, in-law family because you. You are like a traditional Japanese wife, which is the, it's a bit different way of English wives. Was, yes. was, it, was it like that? Well, actually, I was very obedient and I was, after all, you know, learning. So I was a learning person and I took everything that my mother-in-law told me and uh, he was very intelligent and uh, a woman. 
And Nigel's father was a uh, uh, senior clerical staff in the Inland Revenue and a very quiet and kind person. But mother was, of course, queen at home. So she was, she had last say that every sort of decision that relates to the family and children. But did you miss anything about Japan during that time? Well, I miss the fact that I have I have lost everything that connects me to Japan and my previous Japanese life on the way when on the way because my ship has burnt down, and uh, I miss that very much. Were you carrying many things with you then from Japan, presumably? Precious things? Oh, yes, quite a lot. Mm. But it also went down to the bottom of the sea in ashes. Right? Mm. <laughs> and I had nothing. But I have written to my friends and family since I arrived. But there's no sort of reply coming from Japan, so I felt really, you know, that I was cut, cut off from Japan altogether. Did you speak to your family? Like, did you telephone them or were only writing? Or how did you connect to them? Only by letter. Telephones too expensive. Yes. The calls and in those days, very, very difficult. So I haven't talked to them very much until mother was ill later on. Mm -hmm. But only once or twice. Right. So, so did, by letter. So did you write regularly? The, the, the replies didn't come at all for the first four months. Uh, so I had no sort of tie which was firm to keep me you know, connected with the family. My, my life in the first few months in Huntington before Susan was born, was very sort of empty and uh, mm. I had a little bit of uh, problem. Mm. And why do you think there was no reply? You didn't get any reply from Japan, is it? They weren't receiving your letters? Well, in the, the beginning of August, the, all the sort of letters began to arrive. And uh, best of all, there was a whole set of my, the copy of my uh, wedding photographs. So that was a great, great comfort. Did, did you miss any Japanese food? No. No. So do you eat no. Japanese food now or do you prefer British food? Well, my mother-in-law was a sort of very dangerous person but very intelligent, and she fed me uh, with very good, you know, wholesome or wholesome British cooking. Mm. And uh, I was fed on that, and I, I, I did like it very much. And I didn't miss, miss my Japanese food at all, because I knew that it was difficult to obtain anyway. And uh, so I wasn't going to 
wish for something that was difficult to obtain. So do, do you eat more Japanese food now? Sometimes do, yes. I still like it very much, yeah. yes. When uh, it comes my way. Yeah. I don't cook pure Japanese food, but it's a sort of mixture of, you know, of English and uh, Japanese. So would you say that you consciously try to sort of anglicize yourself or, or fit in? Yes, I realize that uh, when, uh, when I was waiting for Nigel, in Algiers, that if he does have some misfortune, yeah. I was absolutely hopelessly alone. So I decided to become English rather than remaining Japanese so much. In any case, before I left Japan, I have already become, uh, became uh, English person anyway. I had made uh, got passport for for coming to England. So you had to give up your Japanese nationality. So there wasn't for you a choice of going back. I you... couldn't. Really, I imagine in those days, nineteen fifty three four, the possibility of going back to Japan at all. And so by being shipwrecked, I really burnt my my vessel <laughs> so how did you choose your name Laura well, it's it's accidental really uh, at the office when I got the job with the Australian engineering regiment I was put in the uh, typing pool in the head office where I was you know employed. We all have to have like English or American names. And uh, at the, that time, there was an American film in which uh, a heroine's name was Laura. So I thought that may be a good idea. So I said, Laura, my sergeant major office, you know, office manager. And somehow it came out of his mouth as a Lola. So that was how it was settled. <laughs> and do you still use that name? Oh, yes. That's how you'll know. Yes. You don't revert back to your Japanese name. Yeah. Oh, I do retain my uh, Japanese name, but it's mostly in, in initial. Mm. But Lola is my name in this country. I have got, I must use that for my baptismal. You know, occasion, and those passport was Lola as well. So, Isako is there, but uh, I'm I'm Lola really in this country. When I ride to Japan, always I use Isako. Finish of the letter. But but in 1985, when I got employed by the Japanese company in Birmingham who bought Dunlop tire section, I decided to change my name legally by deed Paul to Okazaki Ward. So 
I'm the only one Okazaki ward. But all my family, including my husband, are always just a ward. And your children, do they have Japanese names? My children never had a Japanese name because in, in those years when they were born, it was quite difficult to be, you know, half Japanese. And I, we decided that uh, they will be brought up as English. Mm. And, uh, but strangely enough, my grandchildren and the three great-grandchildren all have second names in Japanese. <gasps> parental, you know, wishes. That, so I was involved in selection of names for them. <laughs> Oh, it's a great. And did you try and speak to your children in Japanese, though, when they were growing up? No, I couldn't. They wouldn't have it. <laughs> Remember, in the 50s and, and the early 60s, there was still a very strong uh, prejudice against Japanese. And my children, I, I tried to speak to them in Japanese at home, but they wouldn't sort of accept it at all because they couldn't at any point in learning to speak Japanese in those years when they are young. And uh, because they thought that, because being half Japanese, they sort of encounter very unpleasant uh, things at times from other children. Besides, we didn't see any Japanese where we lived then in in Nottingham. But it was clear to the Not other children that your that your children were half Japanese, or they're clearly not wholly mm. of British parentage. Actually, in Nottingham, where we lived from 1961 to the rest of the time, of 25 years anyway, where when all my children are born and brought up. Um, we had a house right in front of the primary school. Mm. And uh, I had to cross, the children had to cross the road. So I always went out and saw them cross the road. And of course, school children saw me and I wanted them to know that I'm Japanese and I did do so through school you know meetings and so on so I think they my children uh, used to the idea that they are half Japanese mm -hmm. and they expect a lot of uh, prejudice and uh, uh, sometimes quite nasty encounters with the other children. But I told them that they are to report all, the, all such incidents to me. Because you said earlier you didn't yourself experience any prejudice. No, I didn't. No, I have never encountered any, you know, any uh, prejudiced attitude from others. I think being able to speak very clearly and, and uh, fluently in English 
did help me quite quite a lot.、Mm. Did you sing any song to Japanese song to your children? Yes, I did. Yes, sometimes. <laughs> Not、yes. always because they didn't accept it, but <laughs> nevertheless, I sometimes sang them lullaby and things. Is it possible to listen to it? Yes, I can. I can sing a lot of my shabai. Yes, thank、mm. you. It's going to be great. It starts, Nen Nen Korori. Nen Nen Korori ya, O Korori ya, O ya wa yoi koda. Finish. I just wanted to ask you、um, about the book you're working on.、Um, currently, I think you're working on a book around Japanese women in the Edo period. I'm writing a book based on my、uh, master's、mm. degree from Sheffield University. It's all about Japanese women, quite a long history. Historical aspect as well, but the Japanese women had a very, very oppressed life in in society,、mm. and that sort of、uh, position extend into the modern times because Japan remained very much a patriarchal society. And、uh, I want to know whether that, that sort of prejudice on women、uh, sort of came from in Japanese society historic, in historical terms. I may not mention because I, I may I may run out of time, but still, it gives me some purpose. <laughs> but do you th- you think the situation has changed for women in Japan now? After the war, after the war, yes, indeed. But even so, it's long time because you know patriarchal, I mean, idea,、mm-hmm. ideology, is very convenient to men. So men didn't want to sort of get let go of it. And、mm-hmm. after the end of the war, the Americans brought that you know very wide-ranging reform. And、uh, women didn't get to the higher 
ユニバーシティだと、because there was no room for them there. They are not allowed.、うん、that was a complete monopolized by men. So, therefore, they had no sort of role to play in society at large and more or less stayed at home as a homemaker and so on. But things changed after the war and education became、uh, free for women to go to the university. And that made a lot of difference. But I suppose women are still expected to bring up the children and, and be at home, even、yeah. though they might have a university degree.、Um, yes, possible. I don't think they use that women's talent fully in Japanese society, unfortunately. But still, I think women are expected to take second、um, place. Only that. Way that Japanese women can take initiative is when they start a business on their own.、Mm. There are lots of difficulties, of course, and banks are not always willing to lend their money to start up. Hopefully, things will improve in, in the future.、Mm. Thank you. Thank、and on that、so、note,、much. I think we will finish. But thank you so much for your time, Lola. It's been fascinating listening to you. And、um, we'll mention your books so that people can、um, look out for them. And、um, we, you know, we're looking forward to reading your latest that you're working on now. And hopefully, you will finish it. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Yes, I hope so. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You have just listened to an episode of the podcast Earth to Air, presented by me, Kamiko Mendel, and co presented with Kazuko Hoki. Edited by Jia Chen, with original music by Nicola T. Chang. This podcast was produced by New Earth Theatre, with thanks to Goldsmiths, University of London, and made possible by the Cultural Recovery Fund. Be sure to check out the other six episodes to hear more interviews with some of the women involved in Tsunagu Connect. If you'd like to find out more, visit our website and stay connected with us through our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope that you join us again on Earth to Air. Bye.